0: Next month, my wife, excuse me, next month, Carrie and I will celebrate 21 years of marriage. It's hard to believe that we've been married now for almost half of our uh, lifetime. Here's a picture of us on our wedding day some 21 years ago. Uh, My wife had seven bridesmaids, and uh, I had a hard time coming up with seven people who would even come to the wedding uh, with me. So I'm like calling people from second grade. Hey, man, do you remember me? We shared a cubby. What do you do on August 10th? You know, to come to the wedding. Uh, but there we are at her home church in Rocky Top, Tennessee. That's where my wife's from. Now, I'm not just using that as a euphemism. She's literally from the town of Rocky Top in Tennessee. So here we are at First Baptist Rocky Top. I know you love the mint green walls. Talk to your property team. If you want the new building to have those mint green walls, I can hook you up with a, with a free, uh, free sample. There we are in our tuxedos. All of our men are wearing matching tuxedos. Let me just tell you something, ladies. By and large, men hate the tuxedo. It's kind of like a medieval torture device that we've got to wear. In fact, Jerry Seinfeld said this. He said that tuxedos are a, women want us to wear tuxedos at a wedding because it's a wedding security device. Because in the event that the groom gets cold feet and leaves, each man just takes one step to the right and the wedding continues. That's why we as preachers never say, will you take Joe Yarbrough to be your husband? No, what do we say? Will you take this man? Because you're never quite sure what man's going to be standing there. There we were at First Baptist Church in Rocky Top, Tennessee some uh, 20 years ago. I remember standing in front of the church. The doors open. My wife comes out and I just start to weep. I was just Crying like a baby. The, the story, long story, I can't get into all of it, but long story short, my wife and I uh, never dated. We were best friends who got engaged. And this long story, I felt like the Lord had impressed on my heart that this is the woman I'm going to marry. Although she was my best friend and I wrote for an entire year, kind of like a love journal to her and gave it to her after a year. And the um, and Lord had been doing the same thing in her heart. So this picture of faithfulness as she's walking down the aisle and I just start to weep. And she sees me crying so she starts crying. And her dad who's walking down the aisle he sees his daughter crying so he starts to cry. And of course her mom has been crying since 9 o'clock that morning. So it was a joyous occasion. I'll just tell you that much. She came made up on stage and we're holding hands there and the pastor that East Tennessee pastor, first thing he says is Michael, you're grinning like a possum from ear to ear. That's what he told me. Compare me to a animal you see dead on the side of the road. That's what just really gets you in the love mood there. Jesus, tears, and roadkill. Those are the three trademarks of a Tennessee wedding, folks. And that pastor that day read and preached on one of the most popular passages. You've heard it at a wedding before, Ephesians chapter five. We're going to read it together But as we read it, I want you not just to look at what it says about the relationship between a husband and a wife, but I want you to look at what the theological underpinnings are that Paul is referring to the relationship between Christ and the church. And in reverence to God's word, if you're able and willing, would you please stand as we read from God's word, Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does the church since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Let's pray, shall we? Father, as we dwell on these words, I pray you would speak to us in a bold way about your relationship with the church. Father, prompt us to also love the church. Speak through me. Help me to be your messenger, to communicate your message to your people for your glory's sake. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Although the primary purpose of this passage is to communicate the relationship between a husband and a wife, you heard it, didn't you? That Paul is also saying that marriage is a picture of Jesus' relationship with the church. Now, it's not the other way around. God did not look at Adam and Eve and say, hey, I love the thing they've got going there. I want to do that for my people. No, since the foundation of time, God had a covenantal committed relationship with his people And he wanted to give us a living, breathing illustration of how he feels about us. And so he gave us marriage. Your marriage is a little picture to the world of the gospel little picture of the world, the way Christ is committed to his church. We see it not only here, but in Revelation chapter 21, it calls the, the church the bride of Christ. Paul refers to this, saying that this mystery is profound, but what I'm talking about is Christ and the church. Paul is saying in Ephesians 5 that Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. And he shares five characteristics about Jesus' relationship with the church. And then I want to share with you three characteristics of our relationship with the church. The first thing it says is this. It says that Jesus leads the church. You saw that in Ephesians 5, 23 and 24. The husband is the head of the wife. As Christ is the head of the church, he's the savior of the body. As his bride, we take comfort and we are following the lead of a perfect groom. When you call your next pastor, whoever that may be, the next pastor is not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus leads the church. Secondly, it says Jesus loves the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own body. Yet he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church. Paul mentions how Christ cherishes the church, how Christ loves the church. That the love a husband has for their wife is just as a glimpse of the love that Jesus has for the church. Aren't you glad that Jesus calls us his bride and not his girlfriend? It's a deep love. Jesus leads the church. Jesus loves the church. It says Jesus sacrifices for the church. Verse 25, Husbands. Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. The primary way that Jesus showed his love for the church was by sacrificing his life so we would live. That the groom sacrificed his life for the life of the bride. You remember the passage of scripture when Jesus says, Love has no greater one than this than the one who would lay down his life for a friend. And what Jesus did is because of our sin, our separation from God, he came and died the death on the cross, to pay the price for our sin. Some of you may remember several years ago outside of a Tucson grocery store, out of a, a Safeway grocery store in Tucson, there was a mass shooting. It got national attention because Congresswoman Gabby Gifford was injured in the shooting. Thankfully, she did not die, but it overshadowed the fact that six people did die in that Tucson Safeway parking lot shooting. One of those was a man named Dorwin Stoddard. Dorwin was 74 years old. He and his wife, Maeve, were doing their grocery shopping at the Safeway grocery store. And as they're exiting the building, they hear what sounds like firecrackers. When Dorwin realizes it's not firecrackers, but it's in fact gunshots, he pushes his wife on the ground, covers her body with his body. And after about 90 seconds of shooting, Maeve crawls up from underneath her husband and realizes he's been shot. In the next 10 minutes, he dies in her arms. A man giving his life sacrificially to save the life of his bride? Does that sound like anyone else you know? Because that's what Christ has done for his bride, the church. Jesus sacrificed for the church. Number next, Jesus sanctifies the church. To make her holy, verse 26, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. When you're getting ready for a wedding, there's all kinds of preparations you go into. And especially you ladies typically go through a lot of preparations to get ready for the wedding day. I know my wife did. She did not need to do any of these things. But here's what she did. She tried to lose weight. She got tan. She uh, grew her hair out. She went on this beauty cream regimen. And then the day of the wedding, like she gets her nails done. She gets her hair done. She gets her makeup done because she wants to look her best on the wedding day. And that's what Paul's describing here. He's saying that Jesus is preparing the church to be beautiful On that wedding day, the day that he comes and meets us in the air and calls his church up to be with him is the great wedding day. That's why we're having a banquet feast in heaven, this this marriage supper of the Lamb. And he's preparing his church, beautifying his church to wait for that day. And it's this theological term called sanctification. What that means is when we're saved... God has has forgiven our past. God has made us a new creation. But we still are in a process of growing in godliness, growing in holiness. And it says here that Paul, Paul is saying that Jesus is helping to sanctify the church. He's preparing us, making us more beautiful. That hopefully we're not the same person today that we were 10 years ago. That we've sought to become more like Jesus. Jesus leads the church, Jesus loves the church, Jesus sacrifices for the church, Jesus sanctifies the church. We see here that Jesus commits to the church. For this reason, verse 31, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. This idea of leaving and Cleveland, cleaving that the husband has left his family, the wife has left her family, and they have come together two as one. That when you stand on a platform like this at a wedding ceremony, and the, the preacher asks you to say "I do," do you promise to to love him, to to um, uh, care for him, till death do you part? I do. Do you promise to to love her, to sacrifice for her, to care for her well? I do. In sickness and in health, I do. And when you come together, the Bible says this incredible thing happens: two have become one. And it says that this is what this is a picture of what's happened in the spiritual realm. That when we become a Christian, it's very much like a person doing wedding vows. Do you take this Savior? Do you promise to obey Him, to love Him, to trust Him? I do that it's a picture of us coming together as one in Christ. And once we have, he is committed to us. The Bible says he never lets us go, that the, the wolf cannot snatch, him from, snatch us from his hand. There was a dear couple that I had the pleasure of knowing many years ago named Christine and William Cloyd. William worked for the county water department, and because he worked for county government, he was blessed to have an early retirement He had served a certain number of years that he needed to serve. And in his mid-50s, he was set to retire. His dream was to travel the nation in an RV. And so he and Christine bought their RV that they were going to travel across the United States. Christine still had about six more months before she could retire from her job. And they were just waiting for that to happen. But two weeks after he retired, William suffered a massive stroke. The stroke was so severe that William could no longer feed himself. He could no longer care for himself. And he could only say two words, the same two words, nonsensically saying them over and over and over. He would say, one time, one time, and that's it. Their retirement dreams were dashed. The RV they bought, they would never, ever go on a trip together. For the next 13 years, Christine took care of William in their home. She bathed him. She clothed him. She fed him. She cared for his every need. He was not able to respond with anything other than one time, one time. After 13 years of caring for him in her home, it became too difficult as she uh, grew up in age. And so he was moved to a nursing home nearby. But she made sure it was close by because she would go over every single day and feed him lunch. She wasn't sure if he ever really knew who she was showing up at the nursing home for the next 15 years, every day. William passed just before the time of COVID. And I remember talking to Christine about it. For the last 28 years of her life, she had stood by her husband's side when he could not communicate to her. So Christine, why'd you do it? Why'd you give 28 years of your life to caring for this man? And she said, because there was one day many years ago that I stood before church. And most importantly, I stood before God. And when they asked me, do you promise to care for him, to love him in sickness and in health till death do you part? I said, I do. I made a commitment. And folks, that's just a glimpse of the commitment that Jesus has made to us. Jesus is committed to the church. Now you may be here. Let me just tell you this. Not only does Jesus lead, love, sacrifice, sanctify, and commit to the church, but Jesus lead, love, sacrifice, sanctify, and commits to you. You're part of the church. He, He deeply loves you. He sacrificed for you. He wants to not leave you the way you are. He wants you to become more like him and he is committed to you no matter what. Wouldn't you like to have a relationship like that? Some of you, before we go any further, we just need to say some of you may not yet have a relationship with Jesus like that. And I want you to know that he is the most perfect groom. And today he wants you to say, I do to him. In a few moments at the end of the service, we'll have a chance for you to come forward and say, I do to Jesus. Now, those are the five characteristics of Jesus' relationship with the church. What about our relationship with the church? Now, throughout time, we use different words, different things to show relationships, like maybe some of you, weren't, when you're in high school, you wore someone's class ring or their, their letter jacket to show you're dating that person. Uh, when you get married, you wear a ring to symbolize that you're married. And we use all different types of terminology, especially teenagers. My kids are teens, and they're starting to date, and just trying to figure all that out just makes me lose my hair. But... We use different terminology. Like, did any of you, um, how many of you courted a spouse? Everybody use the term court? What about going steady? Did any of you go steady? Maybe a couple of you. My generation, Gen X, we called it going out with somebody, which was very confusing. I got my first girlfriend at 15 years old, and I told my mom, hey, Mom, Angela and I are going out. She goes, you are not going out. It's 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night. I said, no, Mom, we're not going anywhere, we're just going out. Well, I thought you just said you're going out. I said, Mom, we are going out. That's what you say when you're dating one another. Oh, you and Angela are dating? You ought to go out sometime. Mom, that's what I said. We're going out. It was just so confusing. Thankfully, Facebook has made it much more simple because you can go on Facebook and say, I'm in a relationship, I'm married, I'm single, or it's complicated. Those are some of the options that you have. Well, it's my conviction that there are three different relationships that people have with the church. The first one is this. I think some people have dumped the church. They've dumped the church. Years ago, I was uh, doing a mission project in the eastern part of our state. Several churches came together to participate in this missions project. And there were people from all different churches working, giving away free toys to children in the mountains of eastern Kentucky. And I was working a table with a man named Jim Jim and I uh, struck up a conversation. I asked him, I said, Jim, which church are you with? He says, I'm not with any of these churches. I said, oh, okay, which church do you go to? He goes, oh, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Jim had dumped the church. Do you know people like that? People that would say, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with the church. And perhaps they felt betrayed or perhaps they felt burnt or for whatever reason it might be, they've given up on the church. You see, there's a lot of fuzzy, unbiblical thinking in our day about the church, especially in our generation. There's a very little deeply rooted conviction that they need to be part of a church and the church is God's plan. Fewer than one out of five adults believe that a church is a critical part of them growing as a church follower of Jesus get that many people think I can just love Jesus and I don't need the church look around the room are there some people that maybe you saw in this building five years ago who are no longer here and I'm not talking about people who've moved away or passed away or are sick are there some people that were part of the church but for whatever reason have dumped the church you know, our teenagers, I'm, I'm very concerned about because of statistics in your church or anything like national statistics, it says that about four out of every five students in a high school youth group will not be involved in church in 10 years. And students, I just want to pause a second and say to this, don't dump the church because the culture will tell us that Uh, The church is just a bunch of hypocrites, a bunch of uh, people just care about money. You don't need the church. You do you. You find your own truth and you be that. But you go into a city and you look at the hospitals in the city. What's the names on most of the hospitals? Baptist Hospital, Methodist Hospital, St. Elizabeth Hospital. It's because Christians love people so much they started hospitals several hundred years ago. Or you go to colleges in the Northeast, Harvard and Yale and Princeton. Those were all started by Christians who said, we think we want to educate people in, in our nation. You look at the people who adopt generally, by and large, people who adopt, foster, um, uh, serve in disaster relief, by a vast majority are Christians. People who do charitable giving. It's because they believe the church is important. The church is God's idea. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul said these words, His intent was now through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. It's saying this. The church was not an idea that a bunch of pastors came up with because they wanted jobs. The church was God's idea. God could have spread the gospel in any different way he wanted to. He chose, Ephesians 3.10 tells us, he chose to do it through the church. So the wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and the authorities through the church. I know for some of you the idea of recommitting to a church or committing to a church brings back difficult memories. Maybe some of you are watching online and you've you've kind of dumped the church already. I just want you to know that we love the church because Jesus loved the church. And to love Jesus means we love the things that Jesus loved. And no church is perfect, but you've got a great church here. Don't dump the church. The second relationship status that describes our status with the church can be described in this story. Josh and Rebecca were introduced to one another. Someone introduced Josh to Rebecca, and they got together the first time one weekend. Josh uh, didn't think he was going to like her, but found out he kind of liked her. And so he saw her again the next weekend and skipped a few weekends, but then saw her again. Soon enjoyed spending time with her so much, he started seeing her throughout the middle of the week as well. After this had been going on for about nine months, Rebecca became concerned because she knew that Josh was also dating other girls at the same time. And she wanted to have the DTR, the define the relationship talk. Some of you have had that talk before. And sit down with Josh and said, Josh, I think it's time that we make a commitment to one another. And Josh explodes. Commitment? Why would we want to make a commitment? I mean, don't we just enjoy, we're just going to mess up a good thing. I can see you when I want to and I can see somebody else when I want to and if I don't want to see anybody, I don't have to see anybody and there's no commitment, there's no responsibility. I like staying just like we are. Perhaps some of you know someone like Josh. Perhaps some of you have dated someone like Josh. Here's one thing I want you to know though. Josh is, um, there's millions of Josh's out there and Rebecca's not a girl. Rebecca's, the church and many people are dating the church long after they quit playing dating games with boys or girls they're now playing dating games with the church and church is something we do when I want to have fun or I want to be involved but I'm not going to commit to it and I may go to this church for a while then I'll go to this church for a while then I'll go to no church for a while then I'll go to this other church for a while And sometimes we treat church like we would a gym membership or a a dry cleaner. Whoever's going to give me the best value of my Sunday morning time. Like a streaming service. The church is month to month and I can cancel at any time. Mark Devers said that our generation is a generation of commitment phobia. That we're believers but not belongers. That we treat the church as if we would anything consumeristic in our society. And as a result, many people have become fickle and not invested in the long term for the church. And let me just say, God's calling us to be committed to a local church. And that means we attend here. You know, if some folks, I, I get it. I know you're busy and you got things and it's a sunny day and you go to the lake and all that kind of thing. But here's the problem. The problem with missing church is eventually you won't. You get that? The problem with missing church is eventually you won't miss it. That's why in Hebrews chapter 10, the scripture tells us this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more until you see that day approaching. Going to church does not make you saved, but being saved means you should want to go to church. And we commit to being part of this body. Statistics, I didn't share this in the first service, but it came to me. um, I was looking at churches. So back like 40 years ago, to have a church of a thousand people, let's say, you had to have about 1,500 people that would come with some regularity uh, on the national scale of what was a regular church attendance to to equal a thousand people in average attendance. Now, to have a thousand people in average attendance of a church means that you must have a group of nearly 3,000 people to make a thousand people. So if a church had 1,000 people 40 years ago, their pool was about 1,500 people. Now their pool is about 3,000 people in order to generate 1,000 people on a weekend. Why? Because people are going to church less. And I get it. Some of us are kids, and and we think uh, Lionel Richie, what in the world was he talking about? That easy like Sunday morning, there's nothing easy about Sunday mornings? And some of you have been kids sitting out in the church in the front pew, like the story you've probably heard before about the little boy sitting on the front pew and he was just could not stand the service. The music, he didn't know the words and the preacher was just boring and all he wanted to do was go home and play with his toys and he's reading through the hymn book. He's uh, writing down fake names on the offering envelope just to send people adrift. He's playing stare games with people in the choir and after the service, he's out in the, the foyer and he's looking at this plaque and the pastor sees it's a plaque with a list of names and two little American flags coming out of the plaque. And the pastor says, son, do you know what you're looking at? And the boy goes, oh, no, I don't know what that is. And the pastor says, that's a list of all the names of the people who have died in the service. And the boy says, well, that's a morning service or the night service. <laughs> Some of you feel that way about church. I get it. I get it. Can I be honest? And I might step in it right here. My, those of you here in my generation, I want to just speak to this issue. We struggle with this because our kids are involved in so many things. I mean, there's travel ball, and there's birthday parties, and there's concerts, and there's band trips, all this kind of stuff. And it's a burden. And so I'm, I'm not preaching at you, I'm with you on this. Because I know what a challenge it is to be a parent right now of teenagers and of smaller children. Trying to navigate how do you make church a priority when the culture is asking them to do so many other things? And travel sports, I don't know if it's like this in Paducah, but where I live, travel sports is a big challenge on how do you navigate that as parents. And the soccer fields on Sunday mornings have more people than the churches do in, in our county. And so we just kind of early on, my wife and I, we don't, do every, we don't do anything perfect. We certainly haven't done this perfect, but we've tried our best to honor God. We just sat down and said, hey, our kids, if they do travel sports, um, we're going we're gonna to save Sunday morning as sacred. And we'll tell the coaches up front, hey, I, I know if, if you can't accept that, we just have to find a, a different team. And if they've got a game that's going to cause us to miss church, uh, we're just sorry they're not going to be able to be there. And so early on, we started making that decision for our kids. And now that our kids are older, uh, now that they're teenagers, I'll have three high schoolers this year, we kind of let them make their own decision, sort of, um, Because we know what decision they're going to make. And we'll say, well, what do you think? And every time the kids have said, I think we need to go to church, then I'll go catch the game. Because here's my concern. Here's my concern. My concern is, if we teach our children that church is something we do when we don't have something else better going on, then when they're our age, they're going to have a lot of better things going on. And I want our kids to have a commitment to the local church. I want them to love the church. That's our, our, our third point that Christ calls us to be devoted to the church, not to dump the church, not to date the church, but to be devoted to the church. Two weeks ago, when French Harmon was here, he preached on Acts chapter two that uses that word. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And it goes on to describe the actions that the early church did. You probably remember that sermon from, from two weeks ago, how they devoted themselves, that God wants us to be devoted to the local church, that God has a better plan than dating or dumping the church. His plan is for us to make a commitment to loving a local church. And because Christ is committed to the local church, we should be committed to the local church. If you wanna be part of something bigger than yourself, join a church. It's what Jesus said, the gates of hell will not overcome the church universal that we are serving in the greatest thing that Christ could have given us. That's why in the Bible it talks about, uses these analogies for the church. It says the church is like a body. That each part is a separate part of the body, but come together, it's a full body that operates. Or a church is a living stone, that each of us are like a brick, and one brick couldn't do much, but you stack all the bricks together and you have a beautiful structure. He describes that as a church. That the church, get this, the church needs you. And you need the church. You need people that are gonna love you, gonna care for you, gonna cry when you cry, gonna celebrate when you celebrate, who are gonna hold you accountable. And when you commit to a church through membership, what you're saying is, I commit to this body. I commit to my brothers and sisters in this church. I commit to be there. I commit to give as my first fruits offering goes first to the church. That I commit to serve, that I commit to pray for the church. I commit to support the church. And you can make that decision to be a member. Today, Up front, in just a few moments, we're going to have a song. You can come forward and say, hey, I want to join this church. Or you can talk to one of the pastors at the Connection Center and share with them your desire to become a member of this local church. The question is this. Are we married to the church? Or are we just dating the church? Does our attitude about the church match Christ's love for the church? Well, there I was almost 21 years ago, standing on a platform much like this in a mitten green church wearing my tuxedo. I was sweating profusely. Tears were streaming down my face. My cheeks were sore from smiling. I was breathing as if I had just ran a marathon, but I was standing still looking at the back door. The music started. Heads turned, necks craned, people stood, the door opened, and there was my bride. The most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in my entire life came walking down the aisle to me. She joined me on the stage, and there we held hands, and the preacher said, Do you promise to love her? I do promise. Do you promise to sacrifice for her? I do promise. Do you promise to commit to her? I promise with all of my heart. And the love I felt for that woman at that moment was greater than any love I had felt for any woman in the history of the world. And to think, that is just a glimpse of how Jesus feels about the church. Let God us love the church let's pray father we thank you for your goodness and grace and lord i thank you that you so love the church and you sacrifice for us lord we're thankful to be called your bride and we follow your we follow your leadership lord Lord, I pray right now as we go into a time of invitation, you would penetrate our hearts. God, for folks who have been here and convicted, maybe they've been dating the church or considering dumping the church, that today they would say, hey, I want to commit to the local church, a body of believers. Lord, we give you this time for your glory. Amen.